to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Just read these two verses, staying in line with the theme that I have picked up here for the last several weeks on grace. I did a series and didn't even mean to. I'm terrible at series. Uh, but I want to sort of finish it up today in restorative grace. This is what John wrote. He said, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Do y'all like that $12 word? I'll explain it in just a minute. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole wide world. Amen to the word. You can be seated. They're going to come back and sing some more in just a little bit. I wish I was as talented as my son Evan. Uh, he comes out here with these illustrations and anecdotes, and I do that sometime, but I just, I'm more like a horse at the Kentucky Derby. I just come right out the gate. So I'm going to come right out the gate this morning and just say something that hopefully will set this Pentecostal church on fire some more. I love the fact that when Jesus Christ saves you from your sins, he sets you free from the power of sin. Can anybody say amen to that? Feel like saying amen to that? Whether you say amen or not, I'm going to preach. He sets you free from the power of sin. You were enslaved to sin, manipulated by sin, controlled by sin. You gave in to sin. You found it difficult to resist sin. But when Jesus came into your heart and he changed you, that power was broken in your life. Its influence was broken. The control was eliminated. And now, because you are a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you have the ability and the capacity to say no to sin and say yes to God. So every time there's a temptation, you can say, nope, ain't going there. And, and sin is going to say, but come on, you used to do this. And you say, yeah, I used to. That's the operative word, used to. I used to be a sinner. You used to have control over me. I used to give in to you, but not anymore. You can't touch this. I don't belong to anymore. I belong to Jesus, so I ain't doing that anymore. And you have the power as well to say yes to God when God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to behave this way. I want you to talk like this. You don't resist it anymore. You don't fight it anymore. Instead, you say, yes, Lord, that is exactly what I want to do. That is exactly what I'm going to do. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live for you. You have the power to live right. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. You are a child of God. You are a servant of God called to walk in fellowship and obedience to the Lord. Now, that's just good preaching right there, and we could quit, and we'd had a good service. But there's more. Not only when you are saved is the power of sin broken in your life, but God does not want you sinning anymore. I want you to get God's perspective today. God doesn't want you to do the wrong thing. He wants you to say no to sin. He wants you to do the right thing. He wants you to say yes to God. You know, we pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I've taught you that you can have an intimacy with God where you call him Papa God. You can have that, that, that intimacy where you're just using terms of endearment. It, you still respect him, but there is an intimacy, a fellowship, a communion with God that you can know and that you should have. Okay, we call him Father. He is our Father. Now, let me make an analogy comparison here. How many parents do we have in the house? Let me see your hand. All the parents, even if your kids are growing up. Okay, put your hand down. How many sons and daughters do we have in the house? That's everybody. You can look at her. Is that me? Yeah, that's you. You were born. If you were born, raise your hand. That's you. There you go. I did that on purpose. Just see how many people that would throw. Okay. So whether you are a parent or not, if you're not a parent, it's okay. If you were a child, this works for you. I had two boys, as you know, I talk about Jaron and Evan all the time, and uh, I had two sons. Leah and I raised those sons in a particular way, and I think most people do this. Even people who are in, who are in sin, 
to a great degree, do this. We spend our, our lives teaching our children right and wrong. We teach our children how to do the right thing, and we encourage them to do the right thing, and then we teach our children not to do the wrong thing, and, and if they do, then they're going to get in trouble because we don't want them to do wrong. We want them to do what's right. That's our heartbeat, you see. It's our desire is that we want to raise them right so that they can, can do the right thing. There's no difference between us and God. God is a father. We are his children, okay? And he longs for us to know the difference between right and wrong. And he's given us his word so we can know the difference between right and wrong. The Holy Spirit who wrote the book lives inside of us so we can know the difference between right and wrong. And he wants us to, to say no to sin. And his heart's desire is for us to say yes to him and to do the right thing, okay? This is seen in John 14, 15, stated very plainly by Jesus where he said, and I quote, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's as simple as it can. If you love God, oh, I love God. Oh, I love you, Jesus. You know, we've been worshiping. I love you, Lord. Well, if you really love him, don't just stand here and sing songs and raise your hand. Do that. But when you leave here today, keep his commandments. When the rubber meets the road, make the right choices and do the right things. This is the heartbeat of God that we strive daily by the power of the Holy Spirit within us to obey him in everything we do. Are y'all getting this? You know, it's fundamental, but we need to hear it. Because see, as a sinner, you practiced sin. You practiced disobedience. You practiced unrighteousness. It was a lifestyle. It was a habit. It was a pattern of your life. But now, as a child of God, you do the opposite. You practice obedience. You practice righteousness, saying the right things, doing the right things, making the right decisions, and that's because you've been changed. 1 John 2.29 says, everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So if you say, I'm born again, I've been born again, I've been changed by the Lord, then it ought to show in how you live by practicing doing, and not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, and, and not just when you're at work, but when you're at home or when you're away from home. I heard a professor, one of my professors in college one time said, there should be no difference between the person that you are at work and the person you are at home and the person you are at home and the person you are when you get with your friends and the person you are when you get with your friends and the person you are when you come to church. It ought to all be the same person. There ought to be a consistency in your life. See, things change when you are saved. Before you gave in to the devil's temptation, now you resist the devil's temptation. When you were in sin, you, you, you marched lockstep with the world. But now, as a believer, you find yourself living counterculturally to the world and the influence of the world, which is very sinful. In sin, you gave in to the sinful desires of your flesh, but now you deny the sinful desires of your flesh. As a child of God, you live right and you obey God. Listen to me. And you want to be holy. You want to be godly. You want to do the right thing. You tell God that, God, I, I want to live right. Help me to live right, God. And you long to please God in everything that you say and do. Come on, does anybody agree with this this morning? Is this resonating with you? Okay, I could stop right here again. We're done. I almost did it in the first service. I almost said, you know what? Pastor Billy, come. Musicians, come. I was just kidding. I got more to preach. But now having said all that, that God has freed us from the power of sin, God doesn't want us sinning anymore. Here's the reality. This is where the rubber meets the road. Sometimes you fail and you commit sin. I do too. I do this. Leah does it, all the pastoral staff does it, the elders do it, the deacons do it, your life group leader does it, the departmental leadership does it, the person that you look up to that you think so holy and awesome and you think they never do anything wrong, guess what? It's not true. I've seen preachers get up and they preach and boy, they just put on this air and you think, my Lord, I bet they sleep in a suit and tie and they, they don't ever do anything wrong and they just walk around with a glow on them and it's not true. It's not true, okay? We, all, we have this treasure in jars of clay 
And the Bible says that sometimes, you know, we don't do feet washing, but Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And Peter said, if you're not washing my feet, he said, if I don't wash you, you don't have anything to do with me. Peter said, man, give me a bath. Stick me under, go grab the hose pipe and hose me down, Jesus. That's the King Chris version of the Bible. And, and, and Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, you're going to. He said, he who has been bathed doesn't need to wash except your feet. Because you're walking on the dirty road and your feet get dirty. There's a symbol there, an image there, that in this life we are clean. We've been saved. We're broken from the power of sin. But every once in a while we walk where we shouldn't walk we get our feet dirty. And we have to go back to Jesus and get our feet washed. So we all commit sin. Sometimes you do the dumb thing and you listen to the devil. Sometimes you do the dumb thing and you are influenced by this sinful world. You let it start helping you form your ideologies and philosophies and what you believe and you, you, you embrace things that are now counter to and the opposite of and diametrically opposed to what you know is true in the word of God and what you've grown up learning in the Bible. Sometimes you do the dumb thing and you cave in to the cries of your flesh and in a moment of weakness you make the wrong moral choice. And this is not God's will. I think I've made that clear but he knows it can happen. And that's why one of my favorite pieces, phrases in the Bible is found right here in this text where, where he said, little children, I write you these things so that you don't sin. And then the next one, and, and one version says, but, not and. So I'm going to quote it. But if anyone sins, and I'm so glad that's in the Bible. Because God knew and he inspired John and told him, go ahead and tell him, I don't want you to sin. That shouldn't be, you should live above sin. By the way, let me just say this. There is a theology, I've heard this before, that, that, that preachers will preach and say, you're going to sin every day of your life, even as a believer. I don't believe that. That makes my flesh and this world more powerful than the God who lives inside of me, and I don't buy that. Amen, pastor. Good preaching. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. I don't buy that. That makes my God very weak and anemic. The Holy Ghost that lives inside of me helps me. To, listen, let me tell you something. Let me give you a standard. You can live the victorious Christian life every day of your life. You ought to get up in the morning, go through your day, lay your head on that same pillow at night, and go to sleep, and you could go through that whole day not having committed one sin by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's the will of God, but sometimes we fail. Sometimes we mess up, and that's why he said, but if anyone sins. And I started thinking about in the Bible, and I thought, oh, there's all these godly people in the Bible. They messed up. I mean, I'm going to give you a list. Abraham, the father of the faithful, lied twice about Sarah. Jacob, his grandson, was a cheat and a swindler. He'd cheat you out of your car if he could. Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Okay, that was a sin. Uh, Job was a little self-righteous. Jonah ran from God. Elijah just gave up on God. Noah got drunk. Peter denied the Lord not once but three times. And Thomas doubted. And the last two that I mentioned, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They were in the big 12. So if it happened to people in the Bible, it's going to happen to us. But this is a serious issue because sin is still sin. And sin will alienate you from God. And sin will disrupt your relationship with God. And it will separate you from your God. Don't ever think don't ever think that God will condone your sin or wink at your sin and say, that's okay, you and I got to understand. It's all right, don't worry about it. That'll never happen. He'll never look in the other direction. He is always displeased with your sin. So you say, Pastor, okay, I'm there. I believe you. I live my life. I'm right there with you. What should I do? You should confess that sin immediately. And you should immediately ask God to forgive you of that sin, and then you should repent of that sin and purpose to never commit it again. That's how you deal with your failures, your moral failures. This is called keeping short accounts with God. Now, I've preached this before, but I'm going to elaborate this morning. Now, I'm going to go in a totally different direction first. I'm a preacher's kid, but I was never that wild preacher's kid who went off and backslid and went crazy. I never did that. I've served the Lord since I was five years old. 
Okay, haven't always been perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I gave my life to Jesus and I've served Jesus since I was five. I'm 55. That's 50 years. That makes me seem old. I'm not. Anyway, so I've never bellied up to a bar. I didn't have the crazy stage of college where I went to frat parties and got drunk and they had to drag me back to the dorm, and I couldn't remember anything for three days. I've heard all the stories. I, I, didn't, I don't drink. I don't like drinking personally. I don't like alcohol. I don't, I, I don't, if I had my way, nobody would drink, and the whole thing would go out of business. Uh, there's too many bad things that happen with it, so I'm not for alcohol, okay, at all. Don't have anything to, but watched enough movies and TV shows. And fortunately, so that I would know that I was, Preaching correctly, one of our elders in our church used to be a bartender, and he was sitting on the front row in the first service, and he kind of helped me through my sermon at this point. Don't you think it wasn't funny to the first service that one of our elders was a bartender helping the preacher with a sermon on drinking? Somebody right now watching on the Internet saying, my Lord, what kind of elders you got in your church? I got a bunch of heathen reprobates that Jesus saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, turned them into mighty men of God. He's a mighty man of God in prayer. So here's what I understand. He said I got most of it right. <laughs> you go to a bar, you can belly up to a bar. This way they do it in the movies. And they say, give me a drink. And the bartender comes over and, what do you want? Give me a shot of Jack Daniels. Give me a shot of Jim Beam. Quiero dos decades, por favor. Because I'm the most interesting person in this bar. That's how they do it in the movies. They're making fun of it because I like to. So the bartender comes over and he gets a bottle and he pours it in the shot glass. And the guy picks it up and he swigs it. Now, why anybody would want to do that, I don't know. That's got to be a, a virtual attack on your system. Swigs it down, slams the shot glass down on the bar and says, Give me another. That's how it happens in the movies. The bartender kind of looks kind of, always gives you a look like, this is going in a bad direction, but I'll give it to you anyway. You ever notice that in the movies? So he pours it in there. I mean, come on, you're making money. Just give the man his drink. So he pours it in, douses it down again, slams it down and says, give me another. Now, what I do know in the movies is that the bartender doesn't have a little pen or a pad and a pencil and had the first drink. He goes, now, that'll be $4.72. You want another one? Here we go. That'll be another $4.72. You want another one? It'll be $4.72. Never happens in the movies. What they do talk about is they'll say, put it on my tab. I asked the bartender turned elder. I said, do they have tabs in bars? He said, they do. I said, okay. I wish they had that at restaurants. Man, I'd go to some of my favorite places and run a tab up. But they don't. They run, so they run a tab up. So what he does, he's not keeping count with the drinks, but the bartender is. And eventually that tab gets so long, the old guy comes back in, he bellows up to the bar, says, bartender, give me a drink. And the bartender says, not till you settle your tab first. You got to set your account. You got a long account right here. You're not getting another drink till you pay up first. Then we'll start you another tab. Now, the reason I tell you that, because I've never done that, just watch the movies, is because I think sometimes there are people who think you can have a running tab with God when it comes to your sins. You'll do the wrong thing, but you'll make excuses and condone it, and you'll, you'll just kind of cover it over, and the Holy Ghost is convicting you over. But you say, God, I'm not going to repent and deal with that right now because that was pretty fun. I might want to do that again. You just put it on my tab. That's not how it works. There are no running tabs with God. You keep short accounts with God. You know, if you ever notice, I'm preaching right now. Right now I'm preaching to people who are born again who are saved. You ever notice when you sin? Does you get immediate Holy Ghost conviction? Now, if you don't get immediate, it's because you're having too much fun. Oh, he's not going to interrupt your fun because it's not going to work right then. He just backs off. And then when the pleasure wears off, then he moves in and starts working you over. And you feel like an egg-sucking dog. Am I right? 
You feel like an egg-sucking dog. You are under conviction. You are miserable. You, you are ashamed. You're embarrassed. God will come work you over. And when that moment comes, and a lot of times you'll do it, and as soon as you're done, you say, oh, God, I shouldn't have done this. I, I, come on, I'm preaching where we live. I should have never done this. When that moment, that is the moment when you ought to ask God to forgive you and confess your sin and repent and keep a short account with God. All right, now I don't know nothing about bailing up to a bar, but I do know about credit cards and money. All right, that's an area I do have a lot of familiarity with. And, and I know the dangers of a credit card. And the credit card companies, now listen, they're like the bartender. They'll give you all the credits you want. As long as you can spend the money, they're going to let you spend it because they got this stuff called interest. And they'll hammer you with it, and, and so they, they want you to spend it. Depending on how much money you make, earn every year, they'll give you five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 credit. You can go shopping at TJ Maxx, ladies. You can burn that card up till that thing melts into a piece of blob. They have to send you another one. And, and guys, you can go spend that credit and buy you a big old gun or set of golf clubs or whatever. You, you, they, don't, they, don't mind, they don't mind the credit, but here's the problem. Every 30 days, there's a day of reckoning. Every 30 days, there's a day of reckoning. And the statement, the bill comes in the mail. Now, here's the difference. Credit card company says, here's how much you owe us. But now, if you just want to let it go, we got you on 28% interest. You just let it go, and, and uh, that's fine with us. We're just going to start charging you more money. You're just going to owe us more if you can't pay right now. Okay? And so they kind of have their own little running tab. Now, let me tell you how Leah and I deal with credit cards. This coming June, we'll have been married 33 years. 33 years ago, essentially, this coming June, when we got married, we made a pact. We made an agreement, and we have stuck to it for 33 years. And all of you young couples need to hear this. We said we're not going to have credit cards. We're not going to have six, eight, ten, five credit cards. We'll get one. We'll get it to build our credit because we're young. We don't have much credit, so we're going to get it. Because there's sometimes you have to use credit for certain things like cars and houses and maybe furniture. But here's the thing. We make a pact. We make an agreement, a covenant. At the end of the month, when the statement comes in, we pay it off. For 33 years, that's what we've done. I've used credit card, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. I've used all of them. I've used all their money for 33 years, and they never made a dime off of me. I am told... Now, I'm not sure if this is true because my dad always taught me, they say, and I heard, are the two biggest liars. So I heard and I was told, they say, that, they're, that in, the, in the credit card company, they have a term for people like me and Leah. It's called deadheads. Deadheads. They don't like deadheads because they don't make any money off of us. But the reason is because Leah and I, listen, made, a, made an agreement that when it came to credit cards, we were going to keep short accounts. And it kept us out of trouble. And always kept us out of financial debt. Now, I'm going to spiritualize that. When it comes to your sin and your failure and your moral failure and you make the wrong choice and you're under Holy Ghost conviction, you don't condone the sin. You don't, you don't, you don't cover up the sin. You don't, you don't excuse the sin. You confess the sin. You repent the sin. And you keep short accounts. Let me just give you something. Somebody's going to laugh. You're going to be a deadhead for Jesus. Come on, someone, you're going to be a deadhead for Jesus. And you're going to say, I'm not going to leave this sin in my life, but I'm going to get it under the blood, and I'm going to get it out of my life so that I can keep right relationship with my heavenly Father. Somebody said, Pastor, when I sin like that, I mean, like, does that mean I'm not his child anymore? Absolutely, you're still his child. God doesn't just cut you right off. You're his child, Okay. And when you sin, that's why the Holy Spirit convicts you. God deals with you as a father does with his child. And the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines. Down south, we'd say he whoops because our kids get whoopings. And so they get disciplined, okay? And, and, be, and because God says you've done the wrong thing, but I want you to stop doing this. I want you to learn from this. I want you to turn your back on this just like we do with our kids, Okay? And it's the same thing with God. God. God wants us to do the right thing. Let me tell you another Jaron story. He's not here. He's not coming home till tomorrow. He's in Florida with his family. So Jaron, I found out later, like when he was grown and gone, that somewhere around 4 o'clock in the morning, he and his best friend, 2 in the morning, whatever, 
they'd get up in the middle of the night, put their clothes on. Me and Leah are in bed. He'd go downstairs and get the keys to my vehicle and get in my vehicle, and they'd drive to Waffle House and eat Waffle House at 3 and 4 in the morning. He said, Dad, we never did anything wrong. We just hung out at Waffle House. I thought, well, you did a lot of things wrong because you were supposed to be in that bed. You're driving my car. Well, one night, it was one of those nights I couldn't sleep. I was up late. I don't know why. He didn't know that. Middle of the night, I went upstairs because I was going up to my study or office or man cave or something. I see the lights on under his door. I thought, what's that all about? Open the door. He's fully dressed. He turns around. He went, uh, uh, I'm sleepwalking. I'm sleepwalking. I said, you're really that dumb. I kid you not. That's a true story. I said, you are not sleepwalking. You're about to be dead man walking. Get your clothes off. Get back in bed. You're not going wherever you're headed now. You see, why don't you ever tell stories on Evan? Because he didn't give us any trouble. Some of you are like Evan and some of you are like Jaron. And the Lord has to deal with some of us more than others. What I'm trying to tell you today is you're still his child. Now, if you keep sinning, if you keep sinning, that status can change. Hello? You were a father. Jesus said, he was talking to sinners. He said, your father is the devil. But you got saved and God adopted you and now he's your father. But if you keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning, you better watch it. That status can change where God's not your father anymore. You leave the house and you're going back to where you used to came from and you're telling the devil, I want you to be my daddy. Okay? So this is a serious issue. And you want to deal with it as soon as possible. Thank God. For those times when we fail, when we sin, when we mess up, God has given us grace. It's called Restorative grace. That's what I call it. I don't know that you'd find that in a, in, a, in, a, in a theology book. But it's restorative grace. It's grace to deal with your sin and restore your joy and your peace and your fellowship with God. And it's restorative grace that is available to all of God's people. And it's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to preach these things and maybe get to something. If not, I'm done. John said, little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. But if you do sin, if you do mess up, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so he talks about Jesus as being our advocate and our propitiation. So let me talk about those two things because you really need to know this. Do you hear me? You really need to know this if you're going to live for Jesus. An advocate is a big, basically, it means someone to stand alongside you to help you. So it's a defense attorney. That's what it is. It's a defense attorney. So it's someone that's there to speak on your behalf, on your defense. It is the word parakletos in the Greek. It is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter or helper or the one who stands alongside to help us. On either side of you, you've got... God the Son and God the Holy Ghost there to help you every step of the way. Isn't that awesome? That's what the Bible says, all right? He stands with you in your, in your defense. Now, let me, let me talk about this. When I was a child, I was a pretty good kid, but I was mischievous. I got into stuff, and that can get you in trouble. That can just get you into trouble, Okay? I was riding with my grandparents one time, and I don't know how I did it, but I was always just messing with stuff, and this was before seat belts, so I'm up in the front seat, and the back seat bounce over, and my grandmother's trying to control me, and I grabbed the cigarette lighter, pulled it out, and they're fumbling with it, and I tried to shove it, I, tra- I shoved it in back- backwards, the whole dash, fire came out, smoke and flames are coming out, these are the kind of things that I got into, all right, my mother, who's probably watching right now live, My own mother looked at me in my adult years one day and said to me, Son, you made me and your father think long and hard about having another child. You don't know how close you were to being an only child. I said, Mom. So that's, and so that was, then then I became a teenager. How many of you know that adolescence ruins a perfectly good child? 
And so I became an adolescent, a teenager, and, and, and I was a good teenager, like I said. I didn't get drinking and tr- didn't do drugs and never smoked cigarettes, don't really care to. And just, you know, I didn't, but I did have a problem. I, I had this thing where I felt like when I got in an argument with my dad, which all, all sons do, okay, I get in these arguments with my dad. I, there's something inside of me just said, you got to get the last word. Don't recommend that to anybody. Let your daddy get the last word. And so me and my dad, we'd be back and forth, and he's like, you need to shut up. You just need to be quiet right now. That's your cue. That's the cue is don't say anything else. And my brain, I'm not making this up. This is how I lived. And my brain would say, shut up. Don't say another word. But my mouth ignored my brain. And I would say some stupid something back at that. Needless to say, it was World War III during my adolescent years. And, I mean, here I'm getting, I mean, it got, I mean, I told you my daddy had a black belt and it wasn't in karate. I told you all that. So if you weren't here that Sunday, listen, the most frightening sound to me, how many of y'all, your daddy made you, I, I appreciate this Sunday. Some of you may not have been here. How many of you, your dad or mom made you go cut the hickory switch? I have people telling me this after church the first day. My dad didn't. My dad already had a hickory switch. It's called his belt. The most frightening sound to me was the sound that's coming out of those belt loops. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, that was the worst sound. You wouldn't want to run. You want to run to China. You can't run to China, but I'd have walked on the water to get to China at that point. And my dad would, oh, and I mean, he would yell. Oh, he would just get ugly. It got so bad one time that my sister Sonia was watching the whole thing. She was convinced that dad was going to kill me. She ran in her bedroom and collapsed on the bed and started weeping. Just thinking, dad's going to kill Chris. My brother's going to die. She lit him. Mom had to go in there and say, no, your daddy's not going to kill you. But yes, he is. He's going to kill. This is the true story. I kid you not. Ask Sonia. It really happened. I did not. I wish I'd have had a defense attorney to speak on my behalf. I would have locked the door to my room and sent that person out to face my daddy. But there were no defense attorneys. Still aren't. And so I had to face my father and suffer the wrath of T. David. Okay? But guess what? It's not the same way with your heavenly father. He's your father, but he's also the righteous judge. As long as you keep sin out, he's your father. But when sin comes in, he has to become father judge. You with me? So what do you do? You do wrong. You start praying and confessing and begging God. And, oh, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. Oh, God, I wish I'd have never done this. Please forgive me, God. I'm sorry. I won't ever do it again. I repent. And you're crying out to God, but you're standing in the courtroom. Here's what I want you to get in your mind. You're not going to think about this unless I teach you this. The Bible tells us. It's kind of like a, it's like a Zoom court. It's a Zoom meeting. You're down here, but Jesus is in heaven in the courtroom. They're Zooming you in on a Zoom meeting. And you're, you're down here crying out to God, but in the courtroom of heaven, standing on your behalf is Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's sitting at the right hand of the judge where he can turn and talk in the judge's ear. And you're crying and confessing, and God has got to make a ruling on your sin because he's a holy, righteous God. And you're confessing and crying out for help and begging, and he turns to the son, and the son looks at his father, the heavenly father, and God the son looks at him and says, he means it. She messed up, but she means it. And they're believing in what I did, and I'm standing here on their behalf to tell you, Father, I did something 2,000 years ago. Give them grace. Give them grace. I know you want to discipline them right now, but give them grace and forgive them. I'm pleading for them. And, 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 and you know what happens? The father looks at the son and says, okay, since, you, since you're speaking up for them and you're pleading for them, he slams the gavel down in heaven and says, case dismissed. Not guilty. Still righteous. Because of anything you did? No. Because you appealed to the work of the Son of the living God 
And because Jesus, see, every time you ever mess up and you think I'm standing all by myself in the presence of God, trying to talk to God, and, and, and nothing can come out, but and you don't know what to say, and you're crying, and you're weeping, and, and you're trying to, trying to explain, or you're just trying to tell God, and you're saying, I'm sorry, God, and you think, am I going to convince him, and am I going to, and I've already done this three more times, and I, I, every time I've been trying to stop, I mean, but, but I don't want to do this anymore, God, I need your help, and I don't want, I want to live right, oh God, you think, am I doing this all by myself, and the truth is, no. You're not shouting yet, but you're about to get there. You're not there by yourself. Jesus is standing there pleading the case with you. Did he hear me? Sure he did. But he didn't just hear you. He heard him too. Then he said... He is the propitiation for our sins. I don't have time to go through the whole thing about propitiation theology. We don't have time for all that. And actually, there's an A word because we preachers like alliteration. So he's the advocate. Well, there's an A word for propitiation. It's the atoning sacrifice. So he's our advocate and our atoning sacrifice. Okay? And what is an atoning sacrifice? Don't have time to take you through all the theology to preach about atonement, the day of atonement, the priest going in. The, I don't have time for all that. We don't, here's what it means. Jesus died. When you atone for something, you appease the wrath of the person offended and you cover up the offense. So because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he appeased the wrath of God that was against our sins and against us. And not only that, but he covered our sins so that when you get saved, God does not see your sin anymore. All he sees is the blood of Jesus. It just covers. Okay? So... Jesus' death on the cross occurred to deal with your sin problem, and the blood that he shed removes your sins, right? You say, right, right when I got saved. Yeah, but not just when you got saved. Even the ones you commit after you are saved. The blood always has power. When you cry out, how many, how many of you ever heard like an older Christian Talking about pleading the blood. Y'all ever heard that? All right, so everybody in this church, I want you, everybody say, plead the blood. Everybody say, plead the blood. All those of you watching at home, say, plead the blood. All right, what do you mean plead the blood? When you stand in court, how do you plead? You got to plead guilty or not guilty. You say, I'm guilty. I'm embarrassed. I, I feel guilt. I'm ashamed of what I did. What am I going to do with you? I plead the blood. That's what you do. You say, God, I plead the blood. I, I don't know what else to do, but I'm making my appeal to what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for my sins, and I know you forgave me of all my sins when I was a sinner, and I know I'm saved, but I've messed up, but I need something to deal with this sin right now. I plead the blood. Woo! Guess what? It works because it's the blood, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the death of Jesus is what you need to deal with your moral failure. And the blood is applied. And it what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I value the blood. All oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, you see that there is power in the blood to restore you, okay? Andre Crouch, Andre Crouch, one of my favorite songwriters. He's dead, gone on the Lord now. Black writer, black songwriter, black singer. Some of y'all young, y'all don't know about Andre Crouch. We've been singing this song for years. To God be the glory, soon and very soon we are going to see the king. There's songs we've been singing. One of the songs that's hung around, we love it, is the blood will never lose his power. Huh? That song, we love that song. I love that song. I know that it reaches to the highest mountain. I know that it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength. From day 
that song, and we like that. Even the young folk like that song. But see, I don't know if when Andre wrote this song that maybe he was thinking not just about how the blood is there and the sacrifice is there for when you're a sinner in sin needing to get saved. But I kind of wonder, Brother Andre wasn't thinking about the times, Kyle, when we mess up and we do the wrong things and we fail and I'm just wondering if he wanted to let everybody know and I'm so glad that song's hung around that the blood can reach you when you're up on the mountain but it can also reach you when you're down in the valley because you messed up and you're worried about where you stand with God and and, 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 and you don't know but he said it reaches and it, and it goes to the lowest valley and it's just blood that'll give you strength and it'll help you day after day after day because you know that just in case you do mess up it will never lose its power it's always there and it has the power to wash away your sins and, and then he wrote a verse and he said it soothes my doubts oh and it calms every one of my fears oh that blood tries all of my tears now hold on wonder if that's the verse soothes my doubts man when I mess up whoo, I mess up and I'll go oh God did I blow it oh God do you still love me God if, God I'm so sorry I don't ever want to oh God I start doubting myself I start wondering if God soothes my doubts cause my fears I'm afraid I'm afraid David was afraid he said don't take your Holy Ghost from me I'm thinking God don't take my name out of the Lamb's book of life God don't, please don't take the Holy Ghost out of me don't take my anointing don't, don't stop living in my heart God I start dealing with fear because that sin has come into my life and, 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 and then I start crying and I'm saying God please forgive me I wish I'd have never done this Lord I'm so sorry please forgive me and old brother Andre I think he just said you know what I know people get like that but you just need to remember that there's a propitiation there's an atoning sacrifice there's a blood that when you look, go to the cross and when you go to Jesus and you, you just plead the blood that the blood will be applied and your sin will be washed and that blood will soothe all your doubts and it'll calm all your fears and that blood will dry all your tears and you'll get up and you'll say, I still don't feel good. I still know I messed up, but I've got peace with God and the joy's still there. Woo, and I still feel the Holy Ghost and by the grace of God, I'm never gonna do this again because I'm gonna trust the Lord. I love him too much. Oh, I know it's the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never 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 lose never lose its power come on stand with me and help me sing it I know that it reaches to the come on if you're thankful for the blood it washes your sins away even when you mess up and it
always around. You can't run it out. Won't be depleted. It'll never go dry like a well. You know, a lifetime of aggregate sin committed as a child of God is way too much sin. I hate it when I sin, don't you? I wish I would never fail God, don't you? And yet I have the sweet assurance that when I do fail, there will always be grace to meet me at that place. The grace that was there for my past sins will still be there for my future sins. That's why Romans 5.20, Paul said, but where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Grace abounds more. When I mess up, there'll always be grace. When I blow it, there'll always be grace. When I feel so ashamed, there'll always be grace. When I'm overwhelmed with guilt, there'll always be grace. When I'm afraid of what God's gonna do to me, there'll always be grace. And when I fall on my knees and I'm saying, God, please forgive me, wash my sins away, guess who'll come running? Grace came running. Grace will always come running because grace will always meet me at my greatest point of need. (laughs) There's always grace. There's always grace. There's always grace. Hallelujah. I want to preach this. We don't preach like this anymore. We need to preach this stuff. Let me just say this. We've been shouting. We've been shouting. We were rejoicing. That wonderful, glorious, eternal, infinite grace now listen to me it's not there and you believe that, believe it or not there are people that have got this they've done this this is the sad part don't you do this it's not going to work who said okay where sin abounds grace abounds Woo! that's a license to sin alright I just do what I want to do they want to mess up I'll go partying on Friday night Then when I get home, I crash on the couch Saturday morning and I finally sober up sometime that afternoon. I say, oh God, please forgive me for my sins. God will forgive me. And I'll do it again next Friday night. You know, there are people that actually believe that, Lance. I got news for you. That ain't the way it works. It's not a scheme. It's not a system. It's not a formula. It's the unmerited, unearned favor of God he's not an idiot and he's not a fool he won't put up with that it would be like taking a hundred dollar bill and just ripping it up in shreds that's what you're doing to the grace you're stomping and tramping all over it grace of God the restorative grace of God is not there so that you can commit a bunch of sins it's there just in case you commit a sin I want to say that again the grace of God is not there so you can live a life of sin or commit sins and get forgiveness later it's there just in case you sin I want to live for him every day just in case I do sin just in case you sin we have an advocate and we have an atoning sacrifice wonderful powerful means of grace that can get all that under the blood and get me back right walking in fellowship and relationship with God just with every head bowed and every eye closed ask some questions and you answer them within yourself are you keeping short accounts with God or have you been trying to run a tab up is there unrepentant sin in your life 
right now? Do you need Jesus to be your advocate? Do you need the power of his blood to wash away your sins? Do you need grace? Because it's here. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of giving an altar call and everybody come down here, we're going to turn where we're standing into an altar. We're going to start praying, and I'm going to lead you. And I want everybody to pray. And if you say, Pastor, that is me. I have unrepented sin in my life. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be something that's been dragging you down for years. You've been trying to live for God, but you've left this thing there. God keeps dealing with you. Today's the day you need to let God's grace deal with it and be set free. Jesus is ready to stand in your defense. The blood has still has its power. It's never lost its power. And you can leave here today with all that gone and everything right between you and the Lord. Nothing to stand in the way to alienate or separate or cause friction or drive a wedge. Grace removes the wedge. So why don't you pray? Come on, one, two, three. Everybody, let's go. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, this sanctuary right now is filled with the sound of people crying out to you. And you're God. You're the omnipotent, almighty God. You can handle all of us praying at once. I'm so glad. Papa God, I thank you for grace. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he did at Calvary. I thank you that he's my defender. He stands in my place. And I just pray right now, God, that if there are people here that have unrepentant sin, that you'll deal with them and they'll ask for forgiveness and repent and turn from their sins and confess their sins and plead their case and plead the blood. Plead guilty, but plead the blood. And that, God, they'll know forgiveness and cleansing and healing and peace and the restoration of peace and joy and fellowship with you and the removal of fear and guilt and shame right now. God, let today on Valentine's Day be the day when they know victory and peace and know the love of God and they in turn can show their love to you by keeping your commandments. Come on, all over this place. All over this place. Come on, just keep praying. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.